I am thrilled to welcome my dear friend and Grace Point's dear friend, Josh Rader Lee this morning. Josh was in town in Nashville. He was gonna preach in person for us, but since we're not in person, he has graciously recorded his sermon. Um, Josh is a pastor in New York, in Brooklyn, at a church called Forefront, a sibling congregation of ours, a, a church that I've been to several times and a congregation I just love dearly. And I'm so excited to have Josh share with us as he continues our series on the Gospel of Mark. Josh will be in chapter two today. Um, if you think about it, go online, welcome Josh, thank Josh for being with us, and here we go. Good morning, Grace Point. I am honored to be able to join you virtually. Um, I am actually joining you from Madisonville, Kentucky, which is about an hour and 45 minutes from you. Um, I'm here visiting a dear friend um, that I'll share a little bit more about uh, later. And I'd hoped to make the journey to visit with you all in Nashville. But this will have to do for now, and I hope to be able to be with you again in person. Uh, I first heard about uh, Grace Point when I was living here in Madisonville, Kentucky. I was pastoring a very conservative, fundamentalist, evangelical church in Madisonville, uh, which is, like I said, about an hour and a half from you all. In 2014, I had basically kind of come to a crossroads with my faith and my sexuality, and I felt, quite frankly, that I was I was at the end of my rope. Um, and so in my desperation, I was on Facebook, and, you know, Mark Zuckerberg uh, heard my cries and put onto the algorithm Q Christian Fellowship. Um, I had never heard of a gay Christian or a queer Christian. I was choosing to be side B, which was a committed life of style of singleness and celibacy. But um, I was desperate enough in that moment to click the heresy. And so I started reading and I started studying over the span of that next year um, about what it looked like to maybe become affirming and to be a queer, a queer affirming Christian who could come out and, and maybe have a, a husband and a whole life that would be not filled with self-loathing and self-hatred. Um, and simultaneously, as I was taking that journey uh, in 2015, I, I reconciled my faith and sexuality. I left the church that I was pastoring. I came out as affirming. And Grace Point really began to be on my radar for the very first time. Uh, my dear friend whose home I'm staying with uh, here in, in Madisonville put me on to a church called Grace Point. She sent me in a newspaper article about your, your, your journey of becoming LGBTQ affirming and what that looked like. And it really expanded my mind and my worldview. Quite frankly, at that point, um, having had studied uh, gay affirming theology and starting to research churches, a lot of the churches that I was finding were, were sort of mainline Christian traditions, but sort of ex-evangelical or evangelical or non-denominational or interdenominational churches that were affirming were honestly pretty difficult and challenging to find. So finding Grace Point really gave me hope that maybe there's one day that I could pastor a church that reflected some of the religious traditions that I grew up in. Um, and so... Honestly, I made my, my journey to be able to visit Grace Point uh, not long after leaving the church here in Kentucky. And I had the opportunity to, to worship with you when you were in your, your former building before you sold it. I got to have lunch with Stan um, and eventually, you know, came to know your current pastor as well, Joshua. And I visited uh, you all again last March and was when you were in a, a different space than you all are in currently again. Um, and was really encouraged just to, to see the church's commitment to evolution, to have watched how you all have changed and the people have changed and, and, and your values and how you've lived into those values uh, has just continually been an inspiration to me. Um, you know, one of the values that your church is committed to that's on your website that um, really stuck, stuck stands out to me was that it says that you seek community that is inclusive for all people, including but not limited to conventional Christians, questioners, skeptics, believers, agnostics. 
and those of all sexual orientations, gender identities, and those of all classes and abilities. So I personally, as somebody who has found a lot of inspiration from Grace Point, and as I watched your journey and our journeys similar paralleled as, as I became affirming, as Grace Point became affirming, and as we both learned to live into these values, um, I just want to thank you for, for living into the good news of Jesus well, because it set a huge path for me as, as I journeyed. And now I have the honor of pastoring uh, a church in Brooklyn, New York, uh, that is interdenominational, lots of similarities to Grace Point, lots of overlap. Um, and we, we share the same values that I just read from your value statement on your website. Um, so just want to say thank you so much for, for, for loving Jesus, um, and making sure that, um, that we are creating spaces that people can come and, and to find that commitment. Um, so just as this community has gone through a journey of transformation and self-discovery, um, so did those who dared to follow Jesus in our text today. Uh, as you know, you're in a series going through the gospel, going through the gospel of Mark. And so this week we'll be diving in to chapter two. Um, and quite frankly, in chapter two, not everyone was happy about this radical love. Um, and not everyone was happy that, um, the, 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 the journey that Jesus chose to go down and not everybody chose to follow Jesus down that journey. And similar to Grace Point's journey, um, there were certain values and beliefs and decisions you made that not everybody was happy about and not everybody wanted to jump on board for, and not everybody could agree with. And quite frankly, uh, as just as Grace Point went through challenges, so have I, of people I've encountered in my life who have challenged our convictions or our beliefs or our values or, or why we think what we do. You know, we're just coming off of the holiday, right? And, and probably many of us spent time with family members who maybe challenged our beliefs or our convictions. Well, that's exactly what we find here in Mark chapter two. Jesus encounters the religious elite and on multiple occasions throughout this chapter, they are challenging his convictions, his values, his beliefs, how he's living into them. Jesus basically ticks off them because they're radically inclusive in their love. Uh, first, by healing a paralyzed man and forgiving his sins and challenging the religious leaders who questioned his authority to forgive. But then also by reminding us that people will question our understanding of scripture, theology and traditions. But Jesus persists in love. But so do the religious leaders. They continue to push back in this chapter. Because then they find Jesus also calls Levi, also known as Matthew, to follow him. And he dines with tax collectors and sinners and responds, again, criticism by his association with them, by saying that, um, that he came for the sick and not the healthy. Reminding us again in this story that Jesus wasn't interested in a country club Christianity, but he came to establish an inclusive faith. But then one more time again, he talks about fasting and he uses this parable to explain that new things cannot be forced into old systems, reminding the religious elite who are challenging him and his values that sometimes what once was has to end and something new has to be birthed. And so as I join you this morning, I just want to say I am so grateful again for the new thing that Grace Point has become. Um, and I am excited to see how it will ferment over time, like new wine and new wineskin and all that you will all birth into. And, and I'm honored to be able to, uh, to have our journeys intersect today. Now, the last part of this passage in Mark chapter two, um, it's, it's another area where the religious elite challenge. And this is where I want us to sit in the text today and to find something that we can take home with us. So let's begin reading in Mark chapter two, verse 23. It says, one Sabbath, Jesus was going through the grain fields and his disciples wanted, walked along. They began to pick up some heads of grain. The Pharisees said to him, look, why are they doing what is unlawful on the Sabbath? Jesus answered, have you ever read what David did when he and his companions were hungry and in need? In the days 
of Abithiar, the high priest, he entered the house of God and ate the consecrated bread, which is lawful only for the priests to eat. And he also gave them some to his companions. Verse 27. Then he said to them, the religious elite, the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. So the son of man is Lord even of the Sabbath. I don't know about you, but I, I definitely in this whole chapter, I feel like this, the, 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 the religious trauma of, of Jesus defending his beliefs and his convictions and his values to the religious elite who think that they know better. And, and, and yet, and Jesus uh, in his defense, he quotes other passages, right? I mean, I, well, you've heard it said, and, and, and what about this story? And, and, and he's, he's trying to justify to these religious elite why he's living the way he is, because there seems to be an incredible disconnect. So I want us to focus our attention here on, on what Jesus does in this story. He brings them back to the heart of the law, the true reason or the purpose of the law. You see, I, I think, in my opinion, I know that when I was found myself as a fundamentalist conservative evangelical, I found great pride in being somebody who followed the rules on um, somebody who, because it created a, a sense of safety, it made me feel like I was a good person. It gave me a sense of uh, a belovedness and worthiness that I was enough if I followed all the rules and I did things the way that I was supposed to. But reality is, is that's not really the reason we should be following the rules because they make us make us feel good. Instead, as Jesus is challenging us here, he's saying the rules are there to protect and benefit you, not to just make you feel good. And on, and the, the 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 Sabbath law, this 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 custom and this command to to rest. Jesus is reminding them that, hey, if 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 it's going to harm you, like if, if you're going to starve to death because you're not eating on the Sabbath, then it's not actually helping you. Like the whole purpose of this isn't just to obey the law because you, know, you can say you obey the law so that you feel good and feel righteous. You obey the law so that you are your body and your mind and your soul are in a better place. You see, the religious elite, they, they just couldn't quite gather this. And I actually don't think that American society quite gathers this either either. We have swung to the other extreme of this ancient wisdom of Sabbath. The Sabbath seems to be, honestly, what I think is the only law that we break and we, quite frankly, brag about quite easily. I mean, think about it. Someone asks you, how are you doing? What is the first thing we respond? Oh, staying busy. I've been going here. I've been going there. I'm involved in this. I'm going to this activity. I'm planning this. I'm working on, right? We, 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 our answer to how are you doing is often really busy. It's, it's how busy we are. It's how we're doing things. How we're doing is so deeply connected to what we are doing and how much of it. So let me ask you this question this morning. Do you think your busyness is serving you well? Is it really serving you well? I think about um, someone as respectable as Steve Jobs, who, who built a whole empire, right? And he, he busied himself building a world that long after he's gone, we continue to all benefit from and it continues to flourish. And somebody who is very successful, somebody who we would view as a great busy businessman, right? See the, the play on words, business, busy businessman. And this is what he said at the end of his life. He said, I have come to the pinnacle of business success. In the eyes of all others, my life has been a symbol of success. However, apart from my work, I have little joy. Finally, my wealth is simply a fact to which I am accustomed. At this time, lying on a hospital bed and remembering all of my, of my life, I realized that all the accolades and riches of which I once was so proud had become insignificant with my imminent death. Please treasure your family. Love them. 
love your spouse, love your friends, treat everyone well, and stay friendly with your neighbors. Oh, kind of sounds like Jesus, right? Like love God, love others, love your neighbor as yourself. It seems that it seems that Steve Jobs, the end of his life, realized that all the busyness, all the busyness really didn't get him what he truly realized was the, the meaning and purpose of life to, 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 to love God and to love others and to love your neighbor, to, to be able to be present to oneself and all that God is doing around us. So I want to ask this morning, what would it look like for us to take time to cease from doing and shift to being, to take delight in what is and not just in what we are working towards? What would it look like for us to set time to rest, to play, to delight in life? Jesus says to the religious elite in this story, have you ever read what David did when he said to his companions, we're hungry and in need? And, in the day, and, and to the high priest, he entered the house of God and he ate consecrated bread, which is unlawful only for the priest to eat. And he also gave some to his companions. You see, in this text, Jesus is reminding the religious elite that if observing the Sabbath would cause you harm to starve yourself, then don't do it because that's not what it was intended for. I, I, I find that we, we've, we've disregarded the spirit of rest We've disregarded the spirit of ceasing from what is necessary and embracing that which brings us joy because perhaps we, we just think that it's not good, that it, that, it, that it doesn't offer us a good gift, that maybe it causes us harm because it doesn't allow us to get as much done in a day. But I want us to shift. I want us to think about how important that this must have been and how this probably still is today. But maybe we can reimagine what Sabbath rest looks like. Maybe it doesn't have to look like a full day of rest where you don't do anything because Maybe for some of us in this economy or with our children, um, maybe that's not even an option to take a whole day to just cease from what is necessary and embrace that what bring you, brings you joy on the Sabbath. So with that in mind, I want us to invite us to explore what this could look like. What is the intent of the Sabbath? Is there a way to embrace this in a way that, that is not restrictive or harmful, um, but instead is restorative and helpful? I think, you know, resting for many Americans means basically just like not going to work, right? Um, I think it's important. Maybe we define what rest is um, because a lot of us think, well, I didn't go to work. So that means I had a day off. I had a day of rest, but that day not going to work, it might've been full with going to the kids' baseball games into the grocery stores and maybe doing a bunch of yard work and spending the afternoon working on this kid's school assignments. The rest you that the rest that you consider rest actually doesn't really sound like rest. So just not going to work probably isn't rest. So what does restless look like? What does Sabbath look like? What could it look like? Does, does, it, does it have to be a whole day? Could it just be, perhaps could it be that you etch out a, a little bit of time every day? Maybe it's an hour, maybe it's a half hour. You know, for me, a lot of times, um, if I know that I am I'm gonna have a late night meeting, then I'll have a, I'll make sure that I, I have, a, I have a, a time in the morning where I just rest and I take it easy so that by the time I get to the late night meeting, I'm not completely physically exhausted. My husband and I often have a pattern of, uh, of making sure that we are in bed at nine o'clock every night. We make exceptions sometimes, but nine o'clock every night, because that is our time to cuddle and watch Netflix and rest and unwind for the next hour before we close our eyes and go to bed. And honestly, it's the part of the day that I look forward to the most. And I know that it rests my soul because as I lay in bed and I hold him and I watch television, I literally feel like my breath just releasing, the tension in my body releasing. And I feel my body finally saying, ah, let us just be present in this moment. I don't know what rest could look like for you, but maybe it doesn't have to be every day. Maybe it could just be an hour every day. Maybe it could be the evenings that you cease from work. Maybe it could be not having your emails 
forwarded to your to your work phone or to your computer when you come home and leave the office. Maybe it could be setting more strict parameters with your time now that the pandemic seems to have just completely destroyed boundaries from working from home. I don't know what it would look like for you, but I, I invite you to think about how is it that you could just be more intentional with rest and maybe just like working out when they say New Year's resolution, it's not good to just uh, make a commitment to go to the gym five times a week after not having done it at all, because it's a, it's a huge leap to do that. Maybe you just start with like two days a week where you just choose that you're going to have an hour, you're just going to rest. And then as you allow your body to experience that, maybe the new cadence, the new tradition, the new customs, the refreshing nature of it, it will become like second nature. I've shared earlier um, that in 2015, I resigned with really no clear plan of what I was going to do next um, in my ministry, in my career, in my work. All I knew was that I needed to not work in ministry anymore. After I resigned and came out as affirming, um, it was very clear to me that God was like, Josh, you have been in ministry since you were 17 years old. You are 24 years old now and you have never had a time to just rest and to be where no one's, you don't need to be anything for anyone, but you can just be for yourself as you explore self-discovery. And so I really felt like God said for the next year, like don't work in ministry, just rest. Um, it didn't mean I didn't need to get a job, but it meant that I needed to not be in a job where a lot was expected of me to give back to others. And so I left and I realized there was a space and time I needed to do that. Not long after I left, I met a pastor who ended up um, extending a job offer to me. Within weeks of resigning from my other job, I had another job offer. I thought this has to be God, right? Like, like this is crazy. This is like, this is a gay affirming church. God's opened the door. But I felt this strong sense that God was like, no, you, you really, I told you, you need to take a year to let your mind and your body and your soul rest. And so I told him no. Well, he came back again. He asked me, uh, he sweetened the deal with an even better offer. And I thought, well, okay, this time let me pray about it. And I prayed about it. And God told me, you know, you need to be faithful to the last thing I told you to do, which was to rest. And so I told him no again. He came back another time and he offered it again. And I even sweetened the deal even more. And I thought, well, maybe this time I'll go to the scripture. Like I'll play my heavenly parents off of each other. I went to the Holy Spirit in prayer before. Now I'll go to the Holy Word and maybe I'll get a different message. I'll get a different word that'll be different. Um, and again, I went to got to the scriptures and I just felt again, this deep sense. No, you need a season of rest. And so again, I turned down this job and I'm really grateful I did. Because honestly, that, that year of ceasing from what was necessary and embracing only that which brought me joy was exactly what my soul and my mind and my body needed to determine the next steps of my journey. I, after that year, I decided that I needed to go back to school. I had went to a very conservative fundamentalist evangelical school named Moody, Moody Bible Institute. And I realized I needed to do a lot of deeper work to reconstruct my faith so that I could be the pastor that God was calling me to be in a progressive and inclusive faith. And honestly, if I had taken not taken that year, I'm not fully sure if I would have realized the, the necessity and the importance and the value of that. But also, I think my body was tired and worn down. I needed that time to be restored. So I'm not maybe 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 you too need to take a whole year off in some way from a Sabbath rest or, or whatever that may look like. But I, well, I tell you that story to say in, in small ways, sometimes that is exactly what we need. Sometimes we do need a year. Sometimes we just need an hour a day. Sometimes we need an evening in a day. Sometimes we need one day a week. I don't know what it is for you, but the, the value and the principle behind Sabbath rest that Jesus is trying to bring out for the village elite here, I think it is lost on us in Western culture. And I think it's something that if we reintegrated into ourselves, I think that we would find ourselves more whole, 
more integrated, more connected with the divine, with ourselves, and learning how to love others and love God and, and, and love ourselves better. So in our final moments, I, I do want to help us maybe unpack a little bit about what does Sabbath even mean in scripture? Like what is that the word Sabbath is, is, is hardly even an English word, right? I mean, it's, 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 it's not in our, in our vocabulary. And I want you to know that it, it, it does not mean to rest in the, in, in the sense of sleeping from like physical exertion or physical rest. There's another word for that in the Hebrew Bible, which is yeshen, in which we know that Jesus, I mean, we know that God does not sleep. Scripture tells us God does not sleep. So, so Sabbath is not saying to physically sleep. Sleep is good, but that's not the commandment. Our bodies literally just sleep. The Sabbath rest is for us to physically make ourselves cease from what is necessary, to abstain is what this word actually means, to cease, to abstain, to not work. It is a basically a temporary or complete stopping of activity that would otherwise be classified as work or labor. This is what Sabbath means. So it's not sleep, it's to abstain. Maybe another way to put this, as you've heard me say many times, it is to cease from what is necessary and to embrace only that which brings you joy. You see, God wasn't tired after God created the whole universe, and though God didn't need to go to sleep, but simply after God created the universe and God rests on the seventh day, it just means that God simply stepped back and enjoyed what God had made. He took pleasure in the life. I mean, I work a lot as a pastor, um, and I need to sometimes remind myself that all this work that I'm doing, this money that I'm making in order to pay the bills and live the life that I want, sometimes I need to just step back and just delight in it. And not just always be working towards something that hopefully I'll delight in later, but instead to delight in what I'm working towards and in and enjoying in the now. So Sabbath is just basically, it is a temporary ceasing of labor. Now, reality is, is what brings us all joy is different, right? And so for me, I love to shop. So ceasing from what is necessary and embracing that which brings me joy would be, I'm not going to look at emails this week or today or for this evening but I do love to shop, and so I'm going to go shopping. But other people would be like, shopping is a huge chore. It would not be what would bring them joy. And so they would not go shopping. Maybe they would go to the gym, or they would go get their hair done, or they would spend time with their kids. I don't know what that may be, but it's simply ceasing from what is necessary, whatever that necessary is for you, and embracing whatever that thing is that brings you specifically joy. And so what I want us to think about this morning is to stop doing what is necessary and, and do what you want on the Sabbath. And again, the Sabbath doesn't have to be a day. It can be an hour. It can be an evening. It can be a time in the morning. It can be a moment in the afternoon. Whatever you can allot and give yourself to just take time to be intentional, to cease from what is necessary and embrace that for what brings you joy, to embrace that which makes you laugh, invites you to breathe, invites you to unwind and refreshes and restores you so that you can be even stronger to continue to do the things that God is calling you to do in your life. Church, Sabbath is an experiment. It is a discipline. It is a challenging thing, but it is a gift that God has given us, not to harm us or to hurt us, but to help us and restore us. I mean, kind of interesting. I think that probably reality is, is some of us would find it hard to rest because maybe we have babies or we have kids and we just never get a moment to come up for air. And so maybe you may have to be creative with this. Maybe that's once a month you are intentional to create space in your budget or to lean on someone in your social circles to go out with your spouse 
and to just rest and delight in each other's presence and hire a babysitter. Or maybe that's there's certain activities that you have that you embrace with your children, like a bike ride or a walk in the woods or gardening or chopping wood or something. I don't know what you all do out here in Nashville, whatever that may be, go dancing. Um, and maybe you do, you embrace something that brings you joy with your kids. Maybe that could be restorative as well. Married couples are encouraged within, uh, by Jewish rabbis to make love on the Sabbath. So, you know, use that with your spouse the next time that you're maybe have some downtime <laughs> or a way to embrace the Sabbath. I don't know what it is for you, but experiment. See what works for you. Let go of what does not bring you joy for a moment, for a day, for an evening, for a morning, for an afternoon, and see what it does to our bodies. Let us listen to our bodies. I close with this final thought and image that I want you to think about. Um, car engines, they often tell us how often they need the oil to be changed, right? And if you don't do it and the oil gets dirty or it gets really low, a check engine light comes on. In the same way, I think our bodies will do the same thing. So I invite you over this next week, check in with your body. Do you find that you get worn down and tired real easy? Do you find that you're getting migraines or stress in your neck or body aches, or maybe you getting sick really often? Perhaps that is the check engine light of your body saying, hey, I think you need to slow down. I think you need to take moments or maybe a day or an afternoon or an evening to just simply cease from what is necessary and embrace that which brings you joy. Have a little tune-up. Have one little change. Take a moment. Tend to your body. Tend to your body in the moments so that the longevity of the journey ahead will be strong, well-greased, and on solid ground. Let us take care of our bodies. I think that is the heart of the Sabbath law that Jesus was trying to remind the religious leaders of. Take care of our bodies so that we can take care of others' bodies and honor God with our body and how we love it and love it well. <laughs>